want us to go now to the Word of God, and I want us to turn in our Bibles, as we usually do, to Psalm 61. Psalm 61. And at the top of the heading of my Bible, in Psalm 61, it says, Assurance of God's Eternal Protection. And I want us, in the light of what's all happening around us, I want us to listen carefully to the words of David in this psalm. I believe it will encourage you and help you because there's a tendency sometimes when this is happening for us to panic and be overly anxious and be deeply worried. And God doesn't want us to live in fear. He doesn't want us to be panicking. He doesn't want us to go to bed at night and we can't sleep in our beds. He wants to, us to have peace. But yet we have to deal with these situations and we know that many people around the world are dying because of this, so we need some encouragement. So in Psalm 61, the psalmist David, he said, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We're living in very troublesome times. A virus is sweeping the nations. They're in turmoil. Never in our generation have we ever had to deal with such uncertain times. For those who've lived through the war years, I suppose for them, uh, they were the ones who understood what it was like to have to go into isolation and, and go to air raid shelters and when bombs was falling on their cities and there was fear and there was panic and the threat of death and disease and everything else. But our generation, we, we never had to live through any of this, but here we are. This is an invisible threat. We cannot see it with our naked eye. Anyone or anybody that we come in contact with ourselves could be carriers. Governments are locking down cities. In fact, sometimes they're locking down a whole nation. Uh, panic buying is endemic. We see bit by bit the retail industry is beginning to close down. We see that even schools, churches, places of entertainment, bars, pubs, restaurants, all of us is being urged to close down in the face of this threat. Air travel is drastically reduced. The skies are emptying as we speak. Social distancing, uh, quarantining, sanitizing are the in vogues of words today. World leaders not knowing what to do are turning to medical and scientific experts hoping to stem the tide of fear and disease. Economies are being pummeled. Job losses are inevitable. Places are closing. All around us we have underlying questions. What is going to happen to my job, to my business, to my health, to my family, to my children, to my parents, to my grandparents? How will I pay my, my rent and my mortgage and my bills? And so you can easily see at such a time as this that some may feel like the psalmist felt and cry out, my heart is overwhelmed. God doesn't want your heart to be overwhelmed. But sometimes circumstances seem to overtake us and maybe that's how we feel. Now David wasn't facing a coronavirus. His was a personal crisis he was going through. This was a very difficult time. It was an agonizing, heart-wrenching time. And there are lots of things in life that would want to overwhelm us, to give us that feeling of just being overwhelmed. Uh, you know, it could be failing health, 
It could be a broken relationship. It could be grief over a great loss. It could be financial crises. It could be situations that are spiraling out of control that we feel we can't do anything about. All these and more want to bring us into the realm of despair or desperation or maybe even depression. But God doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. So let me encourage you today. All these things God has got an answer for. So what do we do? How do we overcome these fears that may rise up in our hearts or in our minds? Psalm 61 seems to be written by David at a time out of a bitter, gut-wrenching experience. His son Absalom uh, had coveted his father's throne, had risen up against him in rebellion, had, had hounded his own father into the desert place, away from the city into the desert place, wanted to kill him. And David, knowing that, is out there in the desert place contemplating what has happened. Absalom had stolen the hearts of the people. Absalom had turned people against his own father. Now, David for sure was a great king, but actually he wasn't the best dad. And some of the ways in the past that he had handled Absalom was not good. And he's in this situation now, and even though he had made parental mistakes, and even though his, his parenting skills wasn't great, but he's in the position now where he is now in a dark hole of brokenheartedness. And not only that, but his great personal close friend and confidant, Ahithophel, has turned against him and has sided with Absalom, his treacherous son. But David gathers his small army and his mighty men, and he gathers them around him, and he gets them to go after Absalom to arrest him. He didn't want them to kill him, but just to arrest him, just to stop him. And here's, the, here's what he said to his, his generals. He said, listen, deal kindly with my son for my sake. Because he didn't want him dead. He wanted somehow to be reconciled. Deal kindly with my son for my sake. But Absalom, as he was fleeing them on his mule, he had beautiful long hair, which was his pride and joy. But he went under a low branch in a tree and his hair got caught in it, and the mule went on. And there he was, suspended between heaven and earth. And Joab, one of David's great generals, he heard about it through somebody, and he rushed to there. And instead of just arresting him, he thrust him through with three spears and killed him. And when that word came back to David, his heart was just broken. And he cried, my son, my son, Absalom, my son. His heart was crushed. His heart, as he said, was overwhelmed. But let's see what he did when his heart was overwhelmed. I don't want your heart to be overwhelmed because of what's happening all around you. I want you to know that God is for you and God will bring you through whatever you're facing. But I know that circumstances and feelings and emotions will want to wave over us and make us feel overwhelmed. But let's see what David did regarding his situation. First he said, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. That may sound simple enough, but actually sometimes that's the last thing we do in a panic or whenever we're overwhelmed, we forget to take our prayers to God. 
were so worried sick about the situation. But David, the first thing he did was he cried unto God. He prayed unto God. He was desperate. He raised his voice aloud. He made himself heard. Attend unto my prayer, he said. Oh God, don't ignore my prayer. This is what he said. Let me know that you're listening to me. Attend to my problem. Help me in this hour of need. Attend unto my prayer. Now you may think, has David not been a bit bold here? Actually, I don't think so. Because in Luke chapter 11, Jesus had just taught his disciples how to pray. You know that great prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and how it's called the Lord's Prayer, but actually it's the disciples' prayer. And Jesus had just finished praying that prayer. And that's normally where we stop. But Jesus continued immediately on after that. And it's the part where he continued that I want to point out to you this morning to encourage you about being bold in prayer. Here's what he said in verse 5 of chapter 11 of Luke. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And then Jesus went on to say, So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now imagine, here's this man, and he's got two friends. And one friend comes to him unexpectedly. And it's very late at night. And we know it was unexpected because he didn't have anything to give him. Hospitality in the East was and still is a big, big thing. If some friend comes and you don't give them some food or maybe even put them up for the night, it's a humiliation. You wouldn't even dare to do that. But this man came unexpectedly. And this friend, he had nothing. He had no food to give him. So what did he do? The only thing he could do, he went to another friend. But it was at midnight, and his friend was in bed, and his kids were in bed. And so when he banged on his door, and he was looking food to give his other friend that came unexpectedly, this guy says, look, I cannot get out of bed. My, my kids are in bed. I'm in bed. I can't get out of bed and give this to you. In other words, go away. Sling your hook. Come back another day. But Jesus said that this man was persistent. He would not give up. He was insistent and persistent to the point where the man gave in. And even though he was his friend, he didn't give him because he was his friend. He gave because of his persistence. He gave actually just to get rid of him, to get peace, to get back into bed again. Now, Jesus is teaching us about persistence and boldness in prayer. 
David says, attend unto my prayer, O Lord. So Jesus is teaching persistence and boldness in prayer. But aren't you glad that we have a friend who we never can go to unexpectedly. He knows every need we have before we even ask. He's never asleep when we go to him. You know, God who looks after Israel neither slumbers or sleeps, the Bible says. And his door is never locked. We have an entrance into his presence 24-7. At any moment, we can fall on our knees and we can be in the presence of our Heavenly Father. What a friend we have got. What a one that we can go to to know that he will attend unto our prayer. I, I love this scripture in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. But listen to this. Let us therefore come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. And so God wants us to come, not irreverently, not brashly, but boldly with confidence to that throne of grace that is prepared for us, knowing that he will attend unto our prayers. And I love that sentence in Luke eleven thirteen: How much more will your heavenly Father give you? How much more? There is much more that God has got for us. When our hearts are overwhelmed, we have a heavenly Father who cares for us much much more than we could ever even imagine. Doesn't the Bible say he counts the hairs on our head? Doesn't the scripture say he sees the very spar that falls? He is well able, more than able, to attend on to our prayers. His grace is sufficient, Paul said. It's more than enough for us. His arm is not shortened. His ears over the righteous. His eye sees us at all times. And then David cries, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you. David was away out there in the backside of the desert. It felt to him like the end of the earth. The one place he wanted to be was in Jerusalem, and he wanted to be near the tabernacle. He wanted to be near the place where people were worshiping. He wanted to be near the place where the presence of God was. And the presence of God was in that tabernacle. And that's where he wanted to be near that. He didn't want to be away far away. He felt it was like the end of the earth. But he was on the run from Absalom and he was distanced from the place where he wanted to be and loved to be. And like David, we too at this moment and for a while, we too are not in the place where we really, really want to be. We want to be in the house of the Lord. We want to be corporately worshipped together as we always do. That's where our heart lies. That's what we want. But at the moment, it may seem like we're at the end of the earth. But I love what all C.H. Spurgeon said. He said, there may be an end of the earth, but there must not be an end to devotion. There may be an end of the earth, but there must not be an end to devotion. So you don't have to come within four walls to have your devotions at this moment. You can have your devotions and should have them at home every day. Open the word of God, pray to the Lord, worship some, and seek the Lord with all of your heart, particularly at this time. Then he says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's a great statement, isn't it? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 
Whenever we feel low, whenever we're down, whenever we're overburdened with life, it's difficult to get things into perspective, isn't it? You know, when everything's going along and sailing well, we see with 2020 vision, but when things get out of sync and things go wrong and, and stuff begins to happen that's out of our control, then we lose our perspective. Our view of things become obscured by the circumstances. But if we get up higher, lead me to the rock that's higher than I, if we get up higher, then we have a different perspective. We can see things more clearly. Did you ever watch one of those survival programs? And here's this guy, and he's way down in the wooded valley. And there's no river to lead him out of it. And he, do, he doesn't know how he's going to get out of this situation. So what does he do? He can't see any way out. He climbs up the side of the valley, up to the top of the mountain. And when he's up there in the high place looking down, then he can see a pathway. He can see a way to safety. That's what he does. And so we need to make sure that we are lifted up high, that we have got the rock to lift us. The psalmist said in another place, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, for whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. A couple of years ago, my wife Sally and I, we were in Norway, and our ship had birthed in this beautiful little town, lovely port, but as we walked off the ship, you could see this great tall hill, a really big, big, big hill. And the thing that you spotted immediately was that right from the bottom, right to the top, there was a zigzag of steps all the way to the top. In fact, I think it was 480-something steps. And here was I with my camera over my shoulder, and I thought, what an opportunity to get some great pictures. Sally didn't venture up that hill, but I thought, I'll try this. And so I, I began to walk up there. Now, I have to confess to you, it took me a wee while. And I made a few stops along the way. And sure, I was taking pictures, but tell you the truth, I was catching my breath. And what was embarrassing was while I was doing that, a jogger actually ran past me up all of those steps. Eventually, I got to the top. And when I got to the top, it was a grassy area right at the top. But then there was a little rocky uh, prominence in the midst of the grass. And so I decided, well, it's about 10 or 12 feet high. I decided, well, I'll climb onto this rocky patch because when I get up there, then I'll be right at the very, very top. I mean, that's it. That's as far as I can go. So I climbed up there, and boy, was that rewarding because I had a 360-degree full panoramic, full-color view of all over. I could see that ship way, way down in the port. I could see the wee town. I could see the mountains in the distance. I could see way over the sea to my right. What a view I had. Actually, that was built by the Germans whenever they had occupied Norway. And they built that there as a gunnery tower and as a lookout post so they could see oncoming ships and they could see all over the land. But when I was up there, I had a whole different perspective. Down there where the ship was and the little town, yes, it was beautiful, but up here it was far nicer because you could see further and you had an entirely different perspective. And so we need to be higher and we need the rock that is higher than I, particularly in these uncertain days that we're living in. Christ is our high tower, the one whom the righteous run into and are saved. He is a rock. The word of God is a rock of which the church of Christ was built upon. So that's where we need to be in Christ, our solid rock. In verse 3 and 4, we'll finish with this. He says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy, 
I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Now, David couldn't go into the tabernacle. He loved to be near it because he knew God's presence was in there. But he couldn't go in. He wasn't a priest or a Levite. It was only the priests and the Levites could officiate in there. And only the high priest, only once a year, could go into the very holiest of holies where the ark of God was. He was only the one once a year to do that. But David says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. So David, being a deeply spiritual man, he saw beyond the tent. He saw beyond the structure. And he could see far away. And he could see one day he was going to be in God's eternal tabernacle. That's what he was looking for. That's what he was seeing in his mind's eye. God, you've got an eternal place for me. And that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in your presence. Notice it said, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. What does he mean by that? Well, it's probably because he's thinking, he's talking about the tabernacle. He's thinking that in the holy place, there's that Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark is that golden mercy seat. And then on that mercy seat are the two golden carved cherubim with their wings pointing towards each other. And they're looking down upon the mercy seat with the high priest sprinkled the blood. Now that ark between those cherubims was where the Shekinah glory of God would appear, signifying the presence of God in the midst of his people. And so David is saying, I, God, want to be in your presence. He loved the house of God, by the way. He really did. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell with tents of wickedness. But he says, I want to be where your presence is. Whenever we come here on Sundays to the building, we look for God's presence as we worship, as we read his word, as we meet one another. But right in your home, right where you are, you can know God's presence. You can close your eyes in your room. You can lift up your hands. You can worship the King of Kings. You can bow down and kneel. You can open your word and you can pray and you can praise and you can lift up your heart to the King of Kings and you're in his presence. So be encouraged, church. Be encouraged. And try your best to keep in touch all the time. Let's pray for one another continually till we get through this storm that we're going through because God wants us to do that, all right? So I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray a closing prayer, asking God to bless you, to help you. And if you have any needs whatsoever, please don't hesitate to contact us. We need that. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are such a good, good Father to us. We thank you that we can come to you any time. Your door is never closed. You're never asleep. And you've got such a supply to give us whenever we need it. So we thank you that we're your family today. We are sons and your daughters. And Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for every person in it. I pray that over this next period, Lord, I pray that you'll keep us safe. Lord, that you'll protect us. That your blood will cover us. Lord, that you surround us. And Lord, wherever we go, whatever we do, that we'll be shining lights for you in the midst of this dark time. So Lord, bless your church today. Bless your church, Lord. Lord, that you give us the strength and the grace and the courage. And Lord, the anointing, the blessing, Lord, to be the people of light and salt within our community, even during this whole period. So Lord, as we're out there in the workplace or in the home, Lord, and the community, Lord, and even as we have to distance ourselves somewhat, 
We pray, Lord, opportunities will come. And people, Lord, we pray that people will begin to see, Lord, that we cannot control everything, that we're powerless when it comes to this, that science and technology is not God, that you're God, and you're the only one, Lord, that can control everything. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless and to strengthen and to touch, Lord. And for those in the church, Lord, that are struggling with health issues, you know who you are, we know who you are. We pray today, Lord, that you will bless and protect, Lord, from this virus in Jesus' name. And we give you thanks. Amen. God bless you, church. God willing, we'll see you next Sunday morning.